Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew, excuse me, John, John chapter 6. I read from Matthew 6, John 6, John 6. You remember the old metal lunchboxes? Oh, yeah. Do you know why they banned the metal lunchboxes? Back in 1972, the first ban, totally banned by 85. Do you know why they were first banned? Because kids were using them like weapons in school fights. <laughs> right? I mean, man, you could, you could whack somebody with those. Right? I mean, it was some serious stuff. Well, the first metal lunchbox was Hopalong Cassidy, created by the Aladdin Company in 1950. Maybe that was before some of your time. The first lithographed lunchbox was Roy Rogers, created by Thermos Company in 1953. Maybe still before your time. Then they were banned in 72, of course, uh, down in Florida. And then in 85, the last metal lunchbox was Rambo, and uh, then they were banned completely because of uh, the way they were being used in schools. Mickey Mouse, 1935, was the forerunner of what we know as this post-world war American society. First image that appeared on a lunchbox. Well, in John chapter 6, I say all that to say we've got a little lunchbox here. And it has become the icon of everything Jesus is about. Imagine if we had a lunchbox that, or a t-shirt for that matter in the world today. Imagine if we had some sort of icon that, carried, that kids carried with them that talked about Jesus. Uh, that listed the Ten Commandments. That declared Jesus is the Lord. Well, that's exactly what we have down in verse 14. I'll just jump to it and then we'll come back and read. But in verse 14, Jesus of a truth is that prophet that should come into the world. But this silent witness of today's young person of the Bible speaks volumes about who Jesus is. It's one of the few stories that is repeated in every gospel. And we pick up the story, John chapter 6, verse 1, after these things. Now, if I was teaching Sunday school class, Bob, I might get derailed at this time, right? <laughs> Just like when you started reading in the book of Judges, and you said Joshua was dead, but yet he wasn't at that time or something. Remember that conversation? But if you were reading this, if you had any curiosity at all, you'd want to know after these things. You'd want to know, wouldn't you? Jeannie, you would ask that question. Well, well, what was before this? What took place before this that led up to this time that we're at now, if you were a student of Scripture? In Matthew and Mark's Gospel, since it's repeated in every Gospel, it was noted that it took place after the beheading. You remember the beheading of John the Baptist. And the disciples confirmed the fact that he was dead. And they even visited the tomb. So there's probably a little bit of mourning going on at this time. Luke adds... The disciples had been traveling throughout the towns, preaching the gospel, healing the sick. But Jesus had told them, don't pack a suitcase. Don't take any provisions with you. So now they are evidently weary from their troubles, tired from their travels, probably still a little upset because, remember, John the Baptist had been the mentor to the first of the disciples. And so there's, there's some sadness and mourning going on with that. So after these things, verse 1, Jesus went over to the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great multitude followed him. And it's huge, you'll see in a moment. Because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were deceased. And Jesus went up into the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples in the Passover. A feast of the Jews was nigh. 
And Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw the great company come unto him, and he saith unto Philip, what are we going to do now? When shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, test him. Test who? Jesus is testing Philip. For he himself, Jesus, already knew what he was going to do. Verse 7. Philip answered him, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. I don't know how he counted this money up. One of his disciples, and Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There's a lad here, a young boy, which has five barley loaves. Remember this whole story? You learned this in Sunday school, didn't you? Five barley loaves and two fishes. But what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Have them sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number, about 5,000. Evidently, plus women and children. And Jesus took the loaves. When he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples and disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. And when they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Verse 14. Then those men, when they had seen this miracle that Jesus just did, they said, This of a truth is that prophet that should come into the world. Remember, they had seen Jesus heal. They had seen Jesus raise the dead. They had seen Jesus turn water into wine, miracle after miracle. But this is the thing that convinces them. This is the prophet that has come into the world. Well, the first lesson from this lunchbox I want you to notice is the Lord's question to Philip. You see it there in verse 5. Where can we buy bread? Where can we get bread to feed this crowd? Mark's gospel adds to the record with Jesus challenging Philip to go and see. Go out and see where we might be able to find enough food, money, whatever, resource in order to feed these people. The disciples had followed Christ across the Sea of Galilee without so much as a backpack, not to mention this uh, no lunchbox. Matthew tells us that many more had followed around the shoreline, around down by the, uh, they came by foot. Mark tells us that the people literally outran Jesus and were waiting for him there on the other shore. And while the disciples were no doubt weary from their journey, they're still processing the death of John the Baptist, I would imagine, wondering if the same will happen to them. And they came now to this place because a feast, the Passover, is about to take place. So they've got to figure out a place to set up camp and where are they going to get the resource even just to celebrate the Passover. In the midst of all this, Jesus says, go and see. First thing we find is he looks with compassion. John says nothing more than he looked on the crowd. Matthew says that he was moved with compassion. Mark adds, and the people were like sheep having no shepherd. The busyness of the church, the business of the church, must be to look upon the weary travelers of life and be moved with compassion, not condemnation. We're in the book of Judges in Sunday school. There's no question that the world is in a mess today, 
Families are hurting. Circumstances are against us. The headwinds we face seem difficult. But when we look out upon the world, we must look with compassion. How can we meet the need? How can we help them solve their problems? How can we help them get through another day? It's long been the tradition of Christian ministry to open the doors of the gospel to the truth of Jesus Christ by attending to human needs. I have friends who are nurses on the mission field today. Uh, Dr. Donna, in the ministry that uh, we support through uh, Great Faith Vision, Uh, ministry after ministry, church after uh, food pantries, things we do in the Christian ministry in order to open the door for the gospel of Lord Jesus Christ. It's always been the compassion of the church to show impartial concern for the souls of men and women, rich and poor, young and old. The church must always look outward, look upon the crowds, be moved with compassion. For as the saying goes, people won't care how much we know until they what? Know how much we care, right? But with so many needs and so few of us, what can we do with such great need, a great crowd in the world today? And with this question, Jesus taught his disciples to not only look with compassion, but with some confidence. He's not telling them to go and do something that he is not going to now equip them to do. And Jesus will never do any less for us. He'll never call us to do something, go somewhere, do anything for him that he is not with us to help us accomplish. So with confidence. Why this challenge there in verse 6? It was to test Philip. Jesus would teach them a lesson by the end of this little story that they will never forget. The three other Gospels record this directive. Go and give them to eat. Now remember what Philip just said. The lesson from the lunchbox is that when Jesus orders something from the menu, you know he's going to pick up the tab. When Jesus says, here's what I want you to do, he's going to make a way and provide for the need. When Jesus says, go and look, you can go with confidence, not in your ability to fix the problem, but with the idea that Jesus has a plan and he may do the work through you. If you never step out by faith, you'll never know what God might want to do. Well, the disciples do step out by faith. With some curiosity, they look. I don't know if Philip counted the money that was already in the treasury, and he says 200 pence. I don't know. I don't know if he thought about going around and taking up an offering and suggesting we might get 200 pence. I don't know. I don't know what the curiosity stirred in their heart. Andrew evidently went around asking people, you got any food? <laughs> we got a lot of people here. Jesus has just told us to tell them to sit down and eat, and he's trying to figure out where are we going to get the food from. And all he could come back with was five barley loaves and two dried fish. You ever had dried fish? I bet you did in the Philippines. When I was in the Philippines, I, I had dried fish for breakfast, lunch, dinner. Never had it? <laughs> it's a treat. Well, at this point, I'm sure the disciples were curious now, right? Verse 9, what could Jesus do with so little? Have you ever wondered that? You ever had so little, you didn't know what Jesus might do? What in the world can Jesus do with such a little bit? Are you curious enough to know what God might do with your lunchbox? I don't know what's in your lunchbox. I don't know what are your resources. But are you curious to know what can God do 
with so little in the great need that I see in the world today. There's that little course. I'm going to teach it to you at the end of this service if you don't know it already. Little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown, and you can win it if you'll simply go in Jesus' name. Well, Matthew then records Jesus as saying, bring me what you have. Just bring it to me. Okay, I don't know, but here it is. In the little, in the trouble, in the broken pieces, Lord, I don't know what you can do, but here I am. And he brings it to Jesus. They had not yet recognized Jesus as the one who had fed the camp of the Israelites when they were wandering in the wilderness. They had not yet made the connection that Jesus is the same one who had chased a thousand in their history. So long as you focus on your lunchbox, whether it's enough to meet the need, whether you think it's big enough to solve the problem that is before you or that others may have, lift up your eyes, look on the needs, or you may never know what Jesus can truly do. It's admirable that you look at your resources and you say, well, I wonder what God could do. It's admirable that you try to pack your lunch as best you can, right? I'm glad you work hard and you try to provide for your needs, but as the saying also goes, you may never know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. So you open it up and you say, you know, I don't have much. But who do you have? Who's there with you? In the circumstance of your life right now, in the little bit that you don't know how it's going to solve the problems before you, Jesus is there. Go and see. Well, with little in hand, the next lesson we learn from this little lunchbox is give and serve. The disciples suggest, let's send them away. Verse 10. That's, that's probably what I would, I don't know, Lord, let's, uh, let's retreat to the mountains. Right? When you got a lot of trouble, a, uh, a tactical retreat is sometimes uh, a good thing. That's, that's kind of the way we would think. But Jesus, instead of saying, send them away, he says, tell them to stay, and not only stay, but have them be seated as if to prepare them for a meal. And with so little in hand, and perhaps even less to be expected, they obey. And I put the word dutifully. You know, you just... I don't know. You ever go? And sometimes you go to church that way. And then the lesson of the day, boy, it really meant something to you. Some song that was sung, or the lesson that was taught in Sunday school. Something that happens, some interaction, and it just is an encouragement. And so we do what we do, sometimes just because we know it's the right thing. And we don't have any other reason. And that's what they did. Jesus said, do it. And so they did it, had them seated. Jesus is simply saying, Trust me. Jesus challenged him to go and see. Now he tests them a little further in their obedience. The other Gospels record that, uh, you see it, there were groups here. The other Gospels actually record they were in groups of 50. 5,000 divided by 50. I don't know, but there's, there's a lot of people. A lot of groups out in this grassy area. You may remember God told Abraham to get up and go to the Ur of Chaldees. Not knowing, not knowing what would happen, where he will end up. God said to Moses, 
what's that in your hand? Remember the rod? And what that rod became, a great symbol in the victories and the leading of Israel? Jesus called fishermen to lay down their nets and follow him, not knowing where it might lead. There are times when God simply first demands that we obey, not knowing how he may provide, but with full assurance he's going to do something. Now, if I could just take a simple illustration, if you don't mind, personal illustration from my life. Anytime I've gone through a difficult circumstance, the kind of circumstance where you have to ask yourself, I don't know how the Lord's going to provide. You ever been in a circumstance, I don't know how the Lord's going to work this out. I don't know what's going to happen next. Anytime I face a circumstance like that, just a personal illustration, if you don't mind me saying it. First thing I do, I go out and buy a little box of thank you cards. And the reason I do that is because I know God is going to do something, and I want to start out thankful for what God is going to do. Instead of complaining about things I don't have in my lunchbox, instead of worrying about how it's all going to work out, start off by being thankful. So not only did they obey dutifully, they obeyed thankfully. Jesus begins, verse 11, by giving thanks. It's easy to give thanks when your lunchbox is full. Do you remember the old saying, now this predates, I think it's Woodrow Wilson, this predates, you know, probably most of your lives. But do you remember this saying? I, I grew up with it for some reason. Uh, to have a chicken in every pot? You ever, you ever heard that phrase? Some of you have. Okay, sorry. So, it's easy to obey God when your freezer's full. When there's bounty on the table. It's easy to obey God when you know where the answer is going to come from. Thank you, God, for the great blessings you've given us. But imagine doing that with an empty table. That's exactly what's taking place here. And so Jesus, imagine the absurdity. Jesus has the disciples with their baskets. Evidently, each one had a basket. And they're standing there with an empty basket, and Jesus with a little lunchbox, and he lifts it up before his heavenly Father to give thanks for five barley loaves and two fishes. And the disciples are standing there with their baskets. I think their heads are down. I don't know, but I'm just thinking, what in the world is happening here? I'm, I'm sure going to be embarrassed. Here's the challenge, or at least a challenging thought for you. Imagine waking up tomorrow, and the only thing you have left is the thing you were thankful for today. Imagine waking up tomorrow, and the only thing you have left is what you were thankful for today. Maybe the reason you struggle so much is because you're thankful so little. Well, then notice their obedience results in this bounty that comes bountifully. You can see it there at the end of verse 11. It says this crowd of more than 5,000. The assumption is, he says men, and it is a, it is a, uh, 
a, a, a term for male, so it's the men, and then there's women and children, the assumption is. It says, though, that they ate as much as they wanted. It's like, uh, you know, when uh, my wife's not here, but if uh, when uh, her mom started to say Bernadine, but her mom, dad would invite people over after church. But she only ever fixed with a family. Somehow there was always enough. I don't know if people ate a little less. Or what happened, but there was always enough for everybody. Here they had as much as they wanted. Verse 12 adds, what happened at the end? They took up 12 baskets of leftovers after the people were filled. The principle I found and that others have proven before me, perhaps you know it. Whatever the Lord's service requires of you, it will always be returned to you many times over. Have you been there? You know what I'm talking about? Maybe you went out and did a little ministry somewhere and you were blessed. Uh, maybe you gave an offering at a time when it was a little more sacrificial for you and, and somehow the provision was back to, to you. In the service of the Lord, there always seems to be plenty, plenty, and returned back to you many times. If we serve Him, who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we would ask or think, right? According to His power, through the Holy Spirit working in us. And you know the phrase, verse uh, or Luke chapter 6, Give and it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together. Shall men give. So with that, however you meet the need, the Lord says it's going to be meted back to you. Now don't build a name it, claim it, prosperity gospel out of that. Okay, I'm not saying do that. But you cannot outgive God. Do you know that to be true? You cannot outgive God. Well, then the disciples gather these remnants and they are strengthened as a result of it. Pick it up again with the words of Christ in verse 12. Go and gather the fragments that remain so that nothing be lost. Want not, waste not. That's the concept here. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with fragments of five barley loaves and which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. You've got to be kidding me. Then those men, when they had seen this miracle that Jesus just did, said this of a truth is that prophet that should come into the world. First they strengthened. As fragments are now returned. It's the rule of harvest. Sown in handfuls. Harvested in baskets. He that goeth forth reaping. Bearing precious seed. Shall doubtless come again rejoicing. Bearing sheaves with him. Nothing done. No sacrifice made. No effort put forth. No offering given is ever wasted in the work of the Lord. Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. I think he's planting a harvest in the hearts of these thousands of people, especially in his disciples that have followed him there. The people are strengthened also as these facts come forward and are revealed. Verse 13 says, there were only five barley loaves to start with, but now we have how many baskets? And they're all full. 
The saying of the Jews was, He who despises bread falls into the depths of poverty. You know it simply as waste not, want not. Jesus is proving a point that he made earlier in his Sermon on the Mount that I read to you, part of it, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6 down through verse 20, or 34. Finally when he says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. God's got this. There can be no denial that what they had just witnessed was a miracle. God's provision before them renewed their faith. Verse 14 says, Surely this is the prophet that we've been expecting. I don't know. Now remember, a crowd of 5,000 people. We're sitting in an auditorium and I can see the whites of everybody's eyes, right? But imagine a crowd of 5,000 people. I don't know that the people all the way in the back knew what was happening. But those closest to Jesus did. And the disciples, no doubt, they were convinced now, this is the prophet. This is the one sent from God. This is the Messiah. To comprehend what was happening, gathering up of the leftovers in sight of all the people certainly renewed the faith of the disciples. John would later write in 1 John, that which we've seen from the beginning. What we've heard, what we've handled, what we've looked upon, it's the word of life. This is Jesus. From firsthand experience, I've seen it, I've witnessed it, I've touched it, I've handled it. This is Jesus. So the question's simple. What's in your lunchbox? I don't know. It's not much of a question, I suppose. But it's not a question of how much do you have, do you have, it's simply a question of what's in your hand. Just take note of it. Who wants it? Who can do something with it? Jesus can do something with it. Are you willing? That's little boy who's never named. I don't know if his parents are with him. I don't know if he's on his own. What's going on? But this little unnamed boy was willing to say, you can have my lunch. Are you willing to say you can have mine? What can God do with so little, with such great need? It's not so much a question of what you have, but what God can do. Open your lunchbox, bring it to Jesus. Maybe there's somebody in the sound of my voice that needs the Lord Jesus Christ as the personal Savior. You can't save yourself, perhaps you know that already, but as many as received Him, that is as Jesus, as Lord, as many as received Him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. You're lost or you're saved for only one reason. What do you believe about Jesus? You're condemned already because you haven't believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Maybe there's a need for which you have no solution. Maybe you've been thinking about calling me. I, I probably don't have a solution either, but I'll listen. I'll pray with you. I will. I'll pray with you. I'll weep with you. I'll help you work through it as best you can. But maybe there's a need for which you have no solution. You've looked in your lunchbox, your little toolbox, your whatever, and you don't have an answer. But to understand, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And that's not just finance. That's not just clothes in your closet or food in your lunchbox. 
But there's a need for which you have only Jesus can solve. All these things do the world seek after, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you.